Hi everybody, my name's Nick Beard. I'm the audiovisual director here at Peninsula Covenant Church, or PCC. Welcome to our message podcast. Thank you so much for joining us. Good morning, everybody. It's good to be with you today. As I heard as I was coming in, you were singing. You were all singing when we came in. That was really awesome of you. You got to understand your lead pastor. The guy loves to have fun. And so the fact that we're going to send him those, and it got out of control down at Hudson, they're singing. And uh, it was just wonderful uh, that you're willing to do that. There's also some songs that come to my mind uh, today as we begin. Uh, This week is really about falling out of love, the Church of Ephesus. And for all of us, there's probably a time and place where we fell out of love. uh, And maybe it was a younger time in our life or we were just flat out dumped. And uh, there was a song that came to mind that you remember about falling out of love. And so just ponder that for a minute. Do you have a song? Does anybody have a song that you go, or there's just a song today, you know, that song is about falling out of love. Does anything come uh, come to mind for anybody? Is there a song that you remember? You lost that loving feeling. Yeah, 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 yeah. And that is a very popular one that relates to that. And the irony of that song, uh, you'd happen to mention that, uh, the irony of that song is that song, you know, it was written in 1964. It was that long ago, 50-some years ago by the Righteous Brothers. And just listen to some of the lines here. It was the opening lines. Feel free to sing along when you can pick it up. Uh, You never close your eyes anymore when I kiss your lips. And there's no tenderness like before in your fingertips. You're trying hard not to show it, but baby, I know it. Now join me now. You lost that love and feeling. Whoa, that love and feeling. You lost that love and feeling. Now it's gone, gone, whoa. Yeah, you're pretty good, yeah. yeah. I didn't want to make you work too hard there. That's good. We did good. Yeah. Oh, yeah. She may have gotten that. And the reality is this, is that love matters. And that's why we remember songs like that. There's a song right now that I'm actually really into, and I want to challenge you uh, to play it and put it in your car, get it on your Spotify, your iTunes, however you do that now. And the reality is it's this song. Uh, You'll see it on the screen. It's a a song called Sales. And what I've loved about this song, this is a song about falling out of love with God. And The opening lines are just enough for me because it speaks to my understanding of my humanity with God. Falling is easy, but staying in love is hard. When I first heard the song, I thought, this must be a song about a love relationship, you know, pop culture thing. But no, when I got into the song, it's a man and a woman who actually sing the song. That's why it threw me for a loss at first, that are truly conveying how easy it is to fall out of love with God and how losing sight of the great love of God is so easy to us. And what's wild is I think we need reminders of this. I love also how God brought me this song in the last two weeks and one of the core statements in this letter to Ephesians today is this, uh, how, uh, how far you have fallen, how far you have fallen. And what you need to know is that Jesus didn't write a love song, but he wrote a love letter. And that's what we're studying the next seven weeks, these love letters 
from Jesus to the different churches. And these were revelations that were, came down from heaven to an author named John. If you'll see the next slide, I'll give you the real geography on this. John is stuck on an island. It's 90 AD. It's 90 AD. John's near the end of his life. John had walked with Jesus. So you go back 60 years prior, around 33 AD, John and Jesus did life together. Jesus is crucified. In time, John is actually uh, put on this island to suffer for his faith. But he has a revelation, and he has multiple revelations. And he writes the book of Revelation. And some of that included seven letters to different churches. And we're looking at those letters. Here's what's remarkable. Can such an ancient thing as a letter to a church from a dying man have such relevant and timeless truth to us? That's astounding. That's astounding. And we're nuts to believe it, all, it actually can happen. And it takes faith to believe that that can happen. And when I read it and when we'll look at it today and we look at the town of Ephesus of what was going on, it is so relevant. It's crazy how relevant it is. And then you look at the tie-in of the symbolism that Christ used. It was so relevant to them. It had to be shocking to them. But here's the reality. He wrote the letter because he was concerned that they were losing their first love and actually more attached to other things. Can we be, relate to being attached to other things? Oh, I can. I can so much. So let's look at the town of Ephesus so you get a feel for how they're like us and how this ancient letter actually has some timeless truth. When you look in the upper, uh, your upper left, there in this town is this large, large temple called the Temple of Artemis or the Temple Diana. And in that temple, there was a God that was worshipped. And there was a tree in the middle of that temple. And people wanted to get to this town to touch the tree. Because if you're a prisoner and you touch the tree, you're free. If you're accused of something, you touch your free, tree, free. If you're a woman, you're infertile, you touch the tree, you'll get pregnant. You're somebody who needs healing, you touch the tree, healing. So people in droves came. What was amazing, you can see in the center, this town and those people were known as the honeybees. They had a logo. That's their actual logo from that time. And the reality is they were known as very busy people. They had this temple that created a lot of busyness in their culture. That temple was one of the seven wonders of the world at the time. They also, if you move down to the next picture, you'll see it was a library. There's a library that was the second largest library, highly educated people. There were roads. Those are actual roads you're looking at in that lower left-hand picture. And there were harbors that brought people easy access to this place. There were large amphitheaters. That one sat thousands upon thousands of people. There were homes that were two levels. And when you're dealing that time and place, and there's two-level homes, you're dealing with a lot of wealth. And then there's this power struggle. Domitian is the ruler of the time. And Domitian at that time, it was about him. And his, the capital was in Ephesus, but he had monuments to himself there. And he had these coins that had his name on it. And he wanted to make sure everybody had, they were reminded who was in control. What's wild, when I think of Ephesus at that time, not much different than us. Easy access to get here. Everybody wants to come. Have you ever driven down past Facebook? People aren't as excited about the Golden Gate Bridge, but boy, they want to get their picture taken right outside of Facebook. The tour buses stop. Everybody gets out and everybody gets a picture with the like symbol. 
It's astounding to me. And then the next question is, where's Google? It's wild. People want to get here. And they want to see the Golden Gate Bridge and all the other sites. The education's high. The prosperity is high. Our two-level homes are a little overrated. But it speaks to how much people want to be here. And there's an endless power struggle. Endless power struggles that are playing out in our lives. This is us. This is the reality. This area is just like us. High opportunity and also unbelievable high distraction. So easy to lose focus when you're part of this, this area. Do you agree? So easy. So easy. And here's what's amazing. This letter written in 90 AD by John was to the people of Ephesus, the Ephesians. Well, if you go in your Bible, some 30 years earlier, Paul wrote a letter to them, and it made me start to think, what was Paul trying to tell them 30 years later? Because John's obviously trying to tell them something now. What you don't realize, Ephesus was one of the major first church plants. It became a thriving church. It still was in 90 AD. It hadn't crumbled. It was, it was a church that was very well off and was thriving, very busy, just like the bees. And when I look at the words in Ephesians that Paul wrote some 30 years earlier, you see things like this. Stay humble. Hey, I pray that you'd become deeply rooted in the faith and knowledge of God. How about this one? My prayer is that you would grasp how wide and how deep the love of God is. Because even back then, Paul's going, you're going to be easily distracted. How about this? I want you to walk in the way of love. Don't walk in the way of education. Don't walk in the way of status. Don't walk in the way of entertainment. Walk in the way of love. He's trying to get their view less attached to things back then even, 30 years prior. And then finally, he ends chapter 6 in Ephesians with, you're going to have to put on the full armor. Not that you need to be scared of the culture, but you need to be wise. And you're going to have to dress yourself each day and so that you can stay focused because you will be easily distracted. Isn't that interesting? That was the message 30 years prior. And now we have John writing a letter to them. I want us to stop with a reflection right now. I want to know how you feel. Look at this question. How do you feel about your pace of life? And relate it in this way. How do you feel, how do you feel about the pace of life in regards to loving God and loving others. How do you feel about that? Take a moment. I want you just to jot that down. I feel regarding my pace, loving God and others. Or, oh. Take a moment. I want to give you about 30 seconds to just ponder that. I want to know what you're feeling. Somebody tell me what they're feeling. With regards to your pace in this area, when it comes to loving God and others. I feel rushed. What did somebody else say? Pressed. You feel pressed, yeah. You feel rushed. Somebody else. 
What do you feel? Overwhelmed. Okay, if you feel good. I've had people say in the early earlier gatherings, I feel great. That's good. You're, I'm assuming there's some feeling that way. I feel tired. Oh, they're retired. <laughs> no, they're, uh, and just to stand up for them, the person in Hudson that said it was not retired. How you feeling? Okay. Anxious. Yeah. Say again. Closer to God. That's good. So you are feeling closer to God. It's really good for us to stop and ask ourselves, amidst all the opportunity, amidst all the pressures, how am I feeling? And how am I doing? It's good with loving God and loving others. I think that's an important aspect of holding on to the love of God. We've got to stop and just ask that question. When we look at how Jesus begins to write this letter to the Ephesians, it's very interesting. There's symbolism. All these letters that are written over the next seven weeks that we'll actually review, all these letters that we'll review that have been written, uh, over the next seven weeks. I'll start with a prologue. They all then praise the group of people they're writing to. Then they talk about a problem, and then they give some sort of prescription to help them out. Let's look at the prologue. The prologue um, starts with, to the angel of the church in Ephesus, write. They're saying, hey, to the angel of the church of Ephesus, write this. These are the words of him who holds the seven stars in his right hand and walks among the seven golden lampstands. Well, that's confusing. Welcome to the sci-fi novel that we can't understand. I sat with a bunch of men the other night. We were studying the book of Revelation, and, and we were in chapter 5, and it gets a little wackier, and there's eyeballs and different things going on. And the one guy just closes his Bible. He's like, I don't understand this. This doesn't make sense. This is crazy. And we said, yeah, it's symbolism, and it can be frustrating. But let's see the power of the symbolism because God's up to something here. Sometimes the mystery, as Gary, I loved last week, has to be unveiled for us to really understand it. When he talks about the angels, the angels are the lead in the church. I want the leader of this church to have this letter written to them. So you, the leader at Ephesus, this is for you to read to your congregation and to lead your congregation too. And we've heard about Ephesus, and then we hear the words, these are the words of him. The words of him, that's Jesus. These are the words from Jesus. You know, in my Bible, this is red letter stuff. These are Jesus' words. This isn't John's words inspired by Jesus. This is a revelation dropped down from heaven to John for the leader at Ephesus. And he says, the him who holds the seven stars in his right hand and walks among the seven gold lampstands. The seven stars are just the leaders of the church. So he's saying, write it to the leader, the angel, and then remind them that I am holding the stars. I am holding you. And then may they not forget that I am walking amongst, I'm walking amongst the seven golden lampstands. Imagine that this is a lampstand. Trick question, what does a lampstand hold? Light. Some people would say a lamp, Okay that time they didn't have lamps. They had candles that would be a light. 
The lampstand is the church. Is the church a building? No, it's the people who all hold the light out. That's us. He's saying, I have you in my right hand and I'm walking amongst you. Remember this as we enter into this. You're not alone. I have you in my right hand and I'm walking amongst you. This writing had symbolism, especially related to the day and age. Look at this picture of these coins. Domitian, who was the rule of the time, wanted everyone to know that he really rules. So he made coins and he put his son, interestingly enough, his son on top of the universe, on the back of the coin, and had, them, had him holding what? The seven stars. Imagine when this was read to those in Ephesus. That would all come to mind. That would get their attention. This is powerful that God could speak such a revelation that is so relevant to get their attention. And what he's saying to the church of Ephesus, don't buy into the power around you. Don't buy in that it's education. Don't buy in that it's status and security uh, in money. Don't buy into its entertainment. No, 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 no. It is I who holds you. And whatever you're in, I will walk with you. And if you remember those things, you'll live from my love. You won't live from your education. You won't live from your status. And you won't live just from entertainment. You'll live from my love. And that is the freeing place. That is the place. And you don't need to run to the temple of Artemis and touch the tree because you have it within you. You have it within you. Isn't that powerful that in two lines, he can be saying that much? Because in the hub and hustle and bustle of our daily lives, I think that's one of the core things he always wants us to remember. And we can come back to that in a moment's notice. In a moment's notice, we can come back to that and remember the love. So I ask you this question. In your daily life, how do you experience God holding you and walking with you? Or does a day go by and the busyness turns into hurriedness and what you end up doing is you forget this? And so as a result, you react from that and you're not living life from this. And as a result of that, you're unaware and you're running over people and you're, are, you are just stirred, to say the least. Or do you take a moment to remember this as you begin the day? And then along the day, you use some skills, tools, and remembrances to bring you back to that. So in any moment, you can come back to this and live from that intimacy with God that is so accessible, and that's what he's wanting for us as opposed to anything else. Will you take a moment and answer that question? And if your answer is no, welcome to being human and welcome to spending the rest of our lives together to work that out and get better at that and close the gap. It's okay. But if it was a scripture this past week that stuck out, that's what he had for you. If it was the reminder of a friend, that's what he had for you. Sometimes we miss the actual things that God wants us to experience. Or we do and we just don't mark him as, he's talking to me. He's, he's dropping down revelation in my culture. That's the type of God we have. So will you ponder that for a moment? Any answer's fine.
Do you get the song that I love right now? Fallen is easy, but staying in love is hard. That was revelation dropped down for me to help me accept my humanity. There's a closing line in that song, you know. They belt out the chorus that just brings tears in my eyes, which goes something like, I open the sails of my heart. Here I am, here you are. I promise you, if you get that in your car, it'll take you somewhere. You know, I open the sails of my heart. Here I am, here you are. That has been revelation for me. That's how I know God is present and wants me to hold. He's speaking through that song to me this, in the last two weeks. He wants to have that for us. We so easily forget. He drops a visual of a coin to a people to remind them. If he can do that, he'll drop things to us in that way. Look at what he goes on to say. He starts with this, you know, sci-fi symbolism that has rich meaning, we just learned. And then he says, hey, you're doing some stuff really great. And he's encouraging them. And this is how God feels, feels about his people. He says, I know your deeds. You work hard in your perseverance. I know that you cannot tolerate wicked people, that you have tested those who claim to be apostles but are not and have found them false. You, the church of Ephesus, have persevered and have endured hardship for my name and have not grown weary. Simply put, he tells them three things here. You've done good works. You have good discernment and thoughts. You've held the truth. It'd be like telling us, somebody coming here and saying, I see your work. Well done, PCC. You're working well, working hard. Hey, and you've held to the truth, PCC. And finally, you've persevered. You've had some persecution, but you've stayed the course. Now, the persecution we've had around here compared to what they had back then, there's no comparison. Write this down, Acts 19.28. This is what I love when it all comes together. Acts 19.28, don't even go there, I'll just tell you. Paul, remember Paul? He wrote to the Ephesians, and he lived amongst them before he even wrote them, because he wrote, he wrote them when he was in prison, before he was dying. And now John in 90 AD is saying, hey, you did well. Good job with your works, your, your discernment, and the fact that you were persecuted. Acts 19.28 is a scene where, where's Paul? He's at the temple of Artemis, taking on everybody. He goes in there and tells them the truth about God, and they are hacked off at him. And as usual with Paul, wherever he goes, a rebellion incites because he's telling people not to buy their little temple figures. Gary showed you a picture of that last week. And so they run him out of there, beat him up as usual. I'm not sure he got thrown in prison that time. But he was persecuted. That's what John's referring to. This was really happening there. And then he moves on to the problem. Verse 4, yet I've hold this against you. You have forsaken the love you had first. Yet I hold this against you. You've forsaken the love you had at first. I don't use the word forsake much, do you? It's just not a very common word in our language right now. The reality is forsake means to abandon and attach to something else. Isn't it wonderful in the Bible? There's a promise that says, God says, I will never what? Leave you or, yeah, I'll never abandon you and attach to someone else. I'm with you. I'm Emmanuel. But the Ephesians were easily attaching themselves to other things because of their busyness, because of their pace. Can't you relate to that? I'll get overly attached to developing my status. Then I'll get all worried and caught up in my security and get overattached to that. And then just to make myself feel good, I'll pick another S. I'll get attached to sugar to make myself just feel better about both of those. Anybody relate to this? 
That's how we get attached. And then usually after we're attached to something that's drawn us away, we don't feel good about the attachment, so then we got to do something to feel better. Sometimes we go do a good work. That'll make me feel better. Sometimes we eat a good food, you know. Sometimes it ends up into sensuality and takes us even farther away and stuff we shouldn't be dabbling with. That's what happens. These people were busy just like us, but hurried was their issue. Dallas Willard speaks to us, speaks to it in our time. Look at this quote. Being busy is an outward condition, a condition of the body. It occurs when we have many things to do. Busyness is inevitable in modern culture. If you're alive today in North America, you're a busy person. Being hurried is an inner condition, a condition of the soul. It means to be so preoccupied with myself and my life that I'm unable to be fully present with God, with myself, and with other people. I'm unable to occupy the present moment. Busyness migrates to hurry when we let it squeeze God out of our lives. I cannot live in the kingdom of God with a hurried soul. I cannot rest in God with a hurried soul. It's telling us that we're going to be busy, but the reality is what we're trying to avoid is our soul becoming so hurried. This is our soul. This is my soul. This is your soul. Right now, this soul is a bit cloudy. It's not clear. If I let it sit for about an hour, it'd begin to see clearly. But the reality is, on a daily basis, here's what happened. I might have clarity in my soul in the beginning of the day. I might have some reminders where I sit with the Lord. But as time goes on, this is how it gets. Anybody relate to this? And the chunks start to swirl. And I'm sitting with somebody, and I am physically present, but I am mindfully focused on another chunk. Can anybody relate to this? And then as the day goes on, I'm more and more caught in the swirl and the clarity of love I have lost and the clarity that my security comes from God is lost and the clarity um, that my status and identity come from God is lost and I'm taken away in the swirl. This is where, my friend, speed kills. This is where speed kills and it turns into hurry. And we are overwhelmed because this is where our souls end up. But here's the reality. In a moment's notice, though, I can come back to, he's holding me in his right hand. He's walking with me. My security and my status are not dependent on worldly things. I may have problems and challenges, but he's holding me as bad as it ever gets. He's with me. I can take a breath. I can then live from that love. And when I do that, oh, I treat everybody differently. But when I live from the stir that's stirring in me, oh, I mean, we know how we live when it's like that. The reality is speed kills, and it does the following. It kills our soul's ability to understand and experience his love and his kingdom. And so then we attach ourselves to other things that feel good. Speed kills our ability to love ourselves and others. Isn't that true? How about Mary and Martha? Who had a little bit of a soul-stirring challenge in that story? Mary and Martha were two women that hung out, and they were hanging out with Jesus. And Mary was in this peaceful soul place with Jesus. And Martha's like, come on, let's get on it. 
And she's all frustrated. And Jesus says, Martha, Martha, settle your soul. Mary's chosen the better thing. Now, there's still meals that have to be made, and there's grocery shopping that has to be done. But I promise you this, you can go to Costco like this, and you can even be mad because they move the mac and cheese for the seventh time and you can't find it. Okay? And then you realize you get all the way to the top. All the way to the top. Actually, you took your lap, and now you're in line, and you realize carrots. Oh! Forgot the carrots. And you know how far the carrots are? They're at the other end. But I promise you, as you're walking back, you're pushing it all back because no one's with you, you got the whole host, and you're afraid to leave your cart because they'll, like, go unpack it for you. You can say, all right, God, I guess you just want to take a walk to remind me that you're holding me and you're with me. Man, it's going to be cold in the carrot freezer. <laughs> Don't even try to go get the milk. You need a parka to go get the milk. It's so crazy. But do you get it? In a moment, you can have it back. There's this big movement called mindfulness out there. Woohoo. That was known as contemplation years ago. That was known as centering prayer before mindfulness got popular. The problem is we were a little slow in marketing. And we didn't get out ahead of ourselves. We have it, folks. We have mindfulness. It's a matter of whether we'll tap it. Because otherwise, devotion turns into this morning duty that you do. Relationships turn into a transaction. And we make the secondary things primary. And then it gets all messed up. In the end, it's about losing intimacy. We lose intimacy. That's what happens. We just lose intimacy with ourselves, with God, and with others. It reminds me of our plant in our house. We have this fern that has actually, I think, been with Miss and I as long as we've been together, 26 years. Maybe we got it the second year. It's got to be 20-some years old. And it lives over there because when I'm in the kitchen, I can always see it over there in our family room. And it's big and it takes up space. And sometimes it seems like it's covering the couch. And sometimes, you know, somebody throws something on it and it half dies. But in the end, it always comes back to life. But there's these days when it's super droopy. It's super droopy. And if you're coming to my house, I would try to hide it, but I got nowhere to put it because it's so big because it looks so bad when it's super droopy. And you'd be like, what is going on over there? Because it's massive. But it is a metaphor for our lives at our house. If that thing's droopy, that means our speed has been killing us. And we've become hurried, and we are just, we're just doing life, and we're not, we're not settled. What's so amazing about that fern, if you're coming over and, and if I have 45 minutes, I can put about two times as much water in it. And that living water, it's like Paul. It comes back to life again and again. It's the exact same thing about tapping the love of God. At any moment, you can retap it. You just got to get good at knowing how you do it best. The prescription is laid out in verse 5. Consider how far you have fallen. Repent and do the things you did at first. Consider means to just recognize. Just recognize what has you. Ask yourself some questions. Maybe out of this book, this is our devotional we're using for the next uh, so many months. It tracks weekly with us. You could start tomorrow. You'd track perfectly with us. You'd read all about Ephesus and there's short devotionals. And by like day three, it would ask you questions like this to help you recognize where your heart is. 
you find yourself untouched by worship most of the time? This is page 30. Do you find yourself exhausted and resentful when working or serving people? Do you feel unappreciated and unloved? That just means you haven't sat before the Father enough. Are you getting judgmental more and more? Do you view view Christian commands as restrictions on your happiness versus freedom for your soul? Are you unmoved by the needs of others? Those are just signs of a soul that's losing its love. So we need to recognize. So would you take a moment? And sometimes, if we don't recognize enough, they get to be a stronghold. And this week, our folks who are in a rooted experience will actually be studying strongholds to really identify what are the things that have them that's holding them back from living freely with God. And we're asking the same right now. Look at a list of some of these strongholds. Jealousy, fear, bitterness, control, insecurities, pride, lies, substance, selfishness, status, sensuality, security, success, stuff. What are you overly attached to? We take a moment and identify, pick two. Just pick two. I've told you mine, status, security. They lure me away so easily. What lures you away? The next thing we'll need to do is repent. So you got to recognize them. Then you've actually got to repent. Repent just means to turn the other way, to acknowledge and turn the other way. I've been so easily taken there. God, I want to turn and renew my mind this way. And then you got to commit to living from his love. I'm going to live from his love more than that over there. I want to give you a prayer that you can use. It's in your message notes. But this prayer is a simple way to confess. Lord, I'm sorry. I've loved other things more. Help me to live from your love. Help me to recenter and live from your love. Help me to remember that you hold me and you are with me and you will guide me and I'm secure in you. During communion, you're going to have time to say that prayer. And then finally, you have got to reestablish. Remember, he says, do the things that you used to do. Now, if you're new to this, you don't have any things that you used to do. You're new to this. You're figuring this out. So maybe it's what you got to do is establish a pattern of connecting with God. Establish a pattern of reading scriptures about how much he loves you. Getting in a group that helps you do that. We can help you do that. But getting yourself in the right place. For those who've been at it, you've got to find what works for you. Where you are able to reestablish your soul so it can settle as you start your day and along the day and even when you end your day. You have to eat. I think prayer is a powerful way to do that before a meal, to say an authentic prayer before a meal about the state of your soul. God, I'm just hungry. I've forgotten of you all day. But this meal, the solid and the liquid, reminds me of your love. Thank you. That's a good way to just pray at dinner. That's an authentic, real prayer of reminding your soul of his love for you. Here's some other ways. If you look on the board, Silence. Oh, you just sat in silence and let that, he holds me and he's walking with me. Let that wash over you. What if it's, you are regular in his word. 
you jump on a devotional this, these next two months, you get a reading plan and you let it wash over you, not for duty's sake, but for intimacy's sake. What if it's a friendship that you got to talk with somebody else about it? What if it's a song? I told you, I got that song in my head and I just love that song. I have another song that I sing when I'm out of bounds too far and I just need to bring my soul back to you. You don't want to hear me sing it, but I'll just tell you I have one. But the reality, that was a joke. And, um, and, uh, but you, what's your song? When's the last time you confessed so that you just got it out and all of it got out and then Christ came with his towel and pulled it up all that was poured out and just looked at you and said, I love you. You're forgiven. You need to go for a walk in nature. Do you need to serve to just restart your love? Because that does it. How about a phrase? Here's my phrase, live from his love. My phrase is live from his love. When I'm over here and I'm not living from his love, if I can get that phrase out, it brings me a little closer back. What if this is Jesus? Maybe you're, you are so hacked off at Costco and you just decide on the way back to the carrots, I'm gonna lay on the mattress and just be like, Jesus, help me. They'll probably kick you out of Costco. Maybe you need to do that in your house. So as we close today, I wanna invite you to communion because in communion, what you have the opportunity to do, and we'll bring the band forward, is to remember that there was this body that was broken for you. And then there was this blood that was shed for you. And remember, it happened on a tree. The tree of what? The tree of life. Not the tree that was in the temple of Artemis. But let's read the last lines here in this passage. If you do not repent, I'll come to you and remove your lampstand from its place. But if you have this, but you have this to your favor. You hate the practices of the Nicolaitans, which I also hate. So he's saying, you have the right mind, but focus on your intimacy. Whoever has ears, let them hear what the Spirit says to the churches. To the one who is victorious, I will give them the right to what? To eat from the tree of life. So would you come now as the music washes over you? And before you come, just recognize what has you and then repent of it in a simple prayer, and then come to receive the tree of life. Paul calls us to examine ourselves, and I just told you how to do that. And then go back and ask God to bring to mind what he wants you to reestablish as a practice to keep yourself centered. Lord, help us. We're so human. We need you. May this space Help our souls to settle more and more in you and in your life. In Jesus' name. Thank you so much for listening to the Peninsula Covenant Church podcast. We believe you're here for a reason, and we would love to connect with you more. Our campuses are located in Redwood City, California. You can find us online at wearepcc.com and on Facebook, Instagram, and Twitter. Just search for We Are PCC.